everyone welcome to the next episode of do it scared i am so excited to finally introduce you to mr mills otherwise known as david mills he's a proud father of three and a devoted christ follower he's originally from philly but has called tennessee home for the past 30 years With a degree in sociology, Mr. Mills initially ventured into the world of finance. However, he soon discovered his passion for helping people and making a difference in their lives. His journey led him into a career for social services where he found fulfillment in serving those in need. Mr. Mills started his journey as a resident director at the halfway house, often as he described as a glorified babysitter. His dedication and commitment to helping others quickly propelled him to the role of assistant director which is where he met Matthew at the halfway house. During those six years, Mr. Mills had been instrumental in providing support, guidance, and hope to the individuals transitioning back into society. He believes in the power of forgiveness and servanthood and his unwavering dedication to the work that has touched so many lives. All right, so in our last episode, we left off where Matt in June 2021 just got out of prison. So he is on his way heading back to Nashville where he is going to uh, be assigned to a halfway house. And at that halfway house is where we meet the infamous <laughs> Mr. Mill. We've talked about a ton of times here, but you all finally get to meet him. So I'm honored to introduce you to David Mills. And I would love to know, you know, who are you? Oh, man, uh, David Mills. Uh, uh, during that time at the halfway house, I was, my title was assistant director. And when you think about assistant director, uh, the director for me that my job was operations. I was the director of operations to make sure the place ran smoothly. And that was um, a task in itself. What kind of uh, like, ta- like what was your kind of like day-to-day task? Like what did you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis? Um, well, um, we had to search the facility uh, at least twice a week. Uh, for just like contraband, like just, okay, all right. For contraband, uh, anything that wasn't um, regulation, pillows, towels, blankets, everything had to be fireproof. Um, and they report back to the director in regards to what I found. And just take it from there after well, that. It's basically putting out fires all day. Wow. And then just for context, everyone. So there's many different types of halfway houses, right? It could be a house across the street from where you are right now, or they could be federally mandated houses, which are uh, like run by the government at some Absolutely. at some degree, right? <laughs> so of course, because Matt's getting out of federal prison at this point, he is mandated um, a halfway house. So that's where he's ended up is it's the government, a federal version of it, not just the one that's, you know, like a casual halfway house, just so you're, you're aware. Yeah. Um, you, um, you, if you want to start a halfway house, it's easy. You know, you basically get in contact with the proper channels, um, write up a grant, um, and they'll fund the money and give you a certain amount of people that you're supposed to have. Now, of course, there's like a general, um, um, I, I guess a general thing that you have to have. Um, is this, is this like, 
being a foster parent. Yes, absolutely. But for adults that are coming out of prison. Absolutely. So you can absolutely. just be a halfway house, sign up for it. You get a money, a dollar amount per head, I'm assuming, a stipend or whatever. Yes. That just hit, that analogy just hit me. So hopefully that helps everyone understand <laughs> the idea of a halfway house. But then the federal one, right, because coming from the government is probably so much more strict. Yes. They're, they're right? Very, very strict. Um, you know, you have to actually get referrals for those particular individuals to come to the halfway house because everybody's charges are different. Interesting. Um, yeah. Like I was explaining to you before, you know, we have um, our halfway house was only allowed to have a certain amount of um, sex offenders, hmm. you know, but they had to have referrals. It depends on what type of sex offender they were. If they right. were a brutal sex offender, nine times out of 10, they weren't allowed to come to that halfway house. Interesting. So there's different, even. And does the halfway house itself, like the director, make those rules or like where do those come from? Like, how do you figure those? Oh, the rules come from Big Brother, the, the Bureau of Prisons, the okay. BOP is what we call them. The Big uh, Brother. The BOP, uh, they will actually send us letters of recommendation. Um, and the director, of course, he, he will oversee who comes to the halfway house. Okay. But he will have to report back to his boss, our boss, who's at um, home office with a particular company that we work for. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So theoretically, Matt got a reference to this particular halfway house, right? So just how you meet him. So you get a reference from, hi, you have Matthew Jones, who's from the Nashville area. He has a, you know, what the, the, the bank robbery felony with all this other stuff. Will you accept him? So it gets onto your director's desk. And so what happens theoretically from that point? Okay, the director looks at it. Um, of course, you know, he'll make a decision himself, but he has to, you know, push it through our boss, the VPO. And once he speaks with her, he speaks with her, She'll, you know, of course, you know, give her a take on it, you know, and then yeah, and they and that particular person will come to the halfway house. So literally like the assignment of a child. Yes. For like that's actually crazy that I've never made that correlation when it's that's literally what it is. Yep. Wow. So obviously gets ex accepted because you end up meeting Matt and he is at this halfway house for three months. And just for context, everyone. Matt shows up, not just Matt, okay? Anybody in the situation shows up with absolutely nothing. No birth certificate, no ID, the clothes on their back, right? I mean, they're, they're nothing. Can you imagine just like going anywhere without any of those documents or, no, or having access to them? And if anybody knows the government, the process to even receive those are a pain in the butt, right? It takes centuries time. So just aware, like again, he shows up at this house with absolutely nothing. And so... What is your experience from there? What is that like? He, he gets to the halfway house, and the way it works is whenever we get a new intake, you know, they have to go through the process of coming in, learn about the company that's housing them, um, you know, and basically they're going to be assigned to a certain caseworker. But this is a seven-day span, so they'll be actually sitting around doing whatever for seven days. So if they come in and they automatically expect them to get to work, it doesn't work that way. And surprisingly, a lot of guys will get there and they'll get really frustrated. They'll do something stupid and then they'll get sent back to jail. Wow. Um, to me, I feel like, you know, it's that old saying, idle time is a devil's workshop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, if you are resilient enough to wait around for seven days, even though you've done this long stint in prison, I think you'll be all right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. So the way that Matt <laughs> would describe it at times, he would say it's still kind of like jail mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Right. Because it, yeah. it's I mean, you're still being looked at and, and every move is marked. So when 
when Matt says it's like jail, what is he talking about? What are the rules like for anybody that's in that halfway house? Okay. Well, you know, like I guess when they get there, they give they get given them a huge amount of paperwork. You know, the rules and regulations, all the infractions, like if you get in trouble, drug possession, violence, you know, um, smuggling and anything into the halfway house that doesn't belong there, you know, so they automatically uh, assuming that you're going to know these things. And, and then a lot of times those guys don't even open those folders. So, so they have problems, you know, they'll do something that say, oh, I didn't know. Well, we gave you the information, but no one's encouraged to read. Hmm. Do you think, do you think Matt actually read this? Because I feel like his personality type, he's someone who researched. Yeah, I, I think whether it's word for word or at least skimmed it, I feel yeah. like Matt would do that because he's the kind of guy who will also like read instruction manuals or is like very, very like, he'll just read and research a lot. So I figured he'd at least kind of like, yeah. so he wouldn't get caught in a loophole or something. He wouldn't do that. Yeah, very <laughs> smart guy. But, uh, you know, when they said it was like prison, you know, we have curfew time mm. and we have lights out time. We have times when they get up and they have to do chores. They call them details. Mm. If you don't do your chores or your details, you, you get written up. Um, uh, was at different shots. You know, you got level one shots. You have all the way up to, I think, level five shots. And I think the lower number is the most severe, mm. you know. And um, let's see what else put at three square meals a day. They're required, you know, to come down to the dining room. Eat. They're not allowed to take anything back to their rooms. I remember you said that, yeah. Yep. And also the, the way the dorms were set up, you know, it was set up like bunk, bunk bed style. You know. So you have five dorms. One dorm, you know, was uh, for females on the first floor. All the other four dorms are upstairs. They all shared showers. Um, it was just, it was real tight in there. Very, very tight. So, you know, and being able to have to report back and forth to your case manager, and if you didn't, you get in trouble for that. Wow, so there's like a lot of things. I feel like it's a mix of foster care plus jail plus the military, then a sprinkle of the teasing of real life. Yes. Like that, and that's like, that's pretty, that's pretty complex to walk into. And what is theoretically, right? Because I know, and there's a whole other episode on itself, the corruption, the bureaucracy of, of just the, the you know system in general. But theoretically, if we're looking at the hope of the world, what is the hope for a halfway house, especially one that's like federally mandated? Like, what's the goal? You know, like foster care is reunification, right? But like, what would be the ideal situation for anybody that walks in, th- in through there? Okay. The goal of a federal halfway house, the reason why they call it a halfway house, which is the, um, I guess, the more um, layman term. Um, what a halfway house is supposed to be is a, a transition center, you know, mm-hmm. transition from prison to civilian life. Right. Um, the thing is, is that, you know, when you get there, you're supposed to, you know, receive all of this help. You know, if you have PTSD, you receive help. If you have parenting problems, you receive help. Right. If you have, um, uh, what is it, money management problems, you receive help. Um, drug drug addiction problems, you receive help. Right. Unfortunately, in a lot of halfway houses, they'll tell you that you're going to receive this help. But the goal is to get you there. And the first thing they want to do is put you to work. They want you mm-hmm. to find a job. You find a job, a lot of halfway house, they require you to pay 25% of your earnings and they call it a subsistence. That money gets funneled back into the halfway house and what is called, it turns to profit. 
you know, it becomes problem. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, if, if they give you all these, these things, one, they're going to cost money that they have to take from that profit in regards to, um, uh, was it have getting the help and, you know, whatever, um, drug treatment that you need, um, they are more geared on to hold on to the money themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So they'll tell you like, Hey, if you have problems, like you have drug tr- treatment problems or drug addiction problems, PTSD, they'll send you to an outsource clinic, you know, that way for them it's cheaper because they'll have contracts with these companies. Wow. And, um, so basically, you know, they're double dipping, you know, they're, they're being paid by these companies, you know, in order to, to take the residents, either they give them false diagnosis. Wow. Yeah. Because the goal, unfortunately, not all halfway houses, but the goal is to trip you up to where you will get really frustrated, do something really stupid. That's going to land you back in jail. And when you go to jail and you do those two and three months in jail, the, when you get out and they refer a halfway house, the halfway house that you just came from, they'll be the first ones to receive you. Again. Yes. So just for context, again, I'm trying to correlate this to maybe things that are more common for us to know. So is it is the same idea where the government will give the halfway house a certain amount of money also per head? Yes. And so if they got caught up and leave, does the halfway house get to keep the money even though the person's gone? They get to keep the money. That is literally the foster system. That is literally even even uh, private schools, like super private schools and their graduation rates. The same thing kind of happens where they get money for private schools. The kids fail out. The private school keeps the money. Wow. That's just so deep. And again, it's so fascinating to me. This is something we could talk about for literally hours and we will in the future, I promise, because I'm sure there's a lot because I just want to even ask you, like, how do you reconcile with that? Right. Like as someone I, I like I know it's probably really hard and I just from conversations with you to be able to see that and not even do much about it. Well, you know, I'm, I'm heard, I've heard a person say this, uh, say this to me when I was in uh, college. Um, the only way to win the game is not even to play, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, you know, the only thing you can really do is do your best. And when you're doing your best in order to help people, you know, uh, fix their lives, piece their lives back together, you you have to break rules yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna have to break a lot of rules you're going to get reprimanded a lot, you know, and a lot of folks, they're afraid to speak up or do anything because the only thing they're thinking about is their livelihood, their jobs. Right. But, you know, my philosophy is if you aren't there to help, then why are you there? Right. You know? I mean, that, makes sense. that makes sense to me, but that that's like the perfect segue into talking about your experience with Matt in general because <laughs> Matt he obviously read the handbook to a degree right yeah. there are a lot of rules he was aware of them maybe more so than others his matt's ultimate goal forever right through his whole entire life since he had his kids was to have his sons come back together with him so he worked really really hard to follow the rules as much as he could but then to a point where he's like i gotta do what's best for me where he chose to break some rules and he didn't know it at the time but you knew that he was breaking the rules. And this is why Mr. Mills is so important is because we can see a pattern in Matt's life of certain people who invested into him or or turned the other way in like the good way, right? When he was continuing on a path. So Matt said, and you know this, he was there for three months and he his job that he got, because he actually got, they get jobs there pretty quickly, like you just said, and he got a job trimming houses. And we know that Matt is very handy, so that job was really great for him. 
So he had the plan to make relationships relationships with these people, these businesses, gather tools, work his way up into these businesses. But the businesses wanted him where he's at, right? It's going to be hard being a felon and trying to climb the ladder of, of any business, right? That, that's hard to do. So at some point, Matt realized really soon, I need to start my own business. So what Matt did, and again, you're not supposed to do this, okay? This is like a big note, like this could send you a kick you out, right? But what he did is he decided to get some service apps, like a Thumbtack, Angie's List kind of ordeal. And he had someone help him out by putting their name down. And that person would be a mediator for jobs and, you know, send them over to Matt. That person also, a week after he got there, got him and put his put their name on a car for him. And let me tell you, you're not allowed to have cars there. No. Right? If, if you can't, there's that's like a huge thing, right? And so he got a car as well. And it's messy and risky, but he was really trying to hustle to make his own business. So with that backstory, can you give us your perspective of what you knew was going on and why you decided to look the other way? Okay. Um, I felt like, you know, when you're dealing with the Bureau of Prisons, it's like it was, it was a lot of red tape, you know. Anything that was simple to me, they made it hard. Getting your ID hard, getting your birth certificate hard, owning a, a motor vehicle, especially when you already have your license, hard. So, you know, my thing was, you know, when the guys came to me and said, I just bought a car, you know, what I was supposed to have done, I was supposed to tell their case manager, the case manager was supposed to get in contact with the BOP and they supposed to be able to get permission from the BOP, then back to the case manager. And then the overall decision rests on the shoulders of the director. And is that usually no? That's, that's usually no. It's usually no. So what I did was, you know, instead of actually letting it ever hit the director's desk, I would slide in and be like the middleman. You know, I would like, hey, bring me all of your documents. I will go ahead and I'll prove that it's okay for you to have your vehicle. And I'll just place it on your case manager's desk. I'm the assistant director. They're not going to tell me no, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, when it came to Matt, you know, um, when Matt was telling me about, you know, his life, story and how he wanted to start his own business and you know he was telling me about him being an artist you know um he showed me a lot of his work so i was blown away oh yeah incredible yeah blown away and um he's like i want to do these things and i just looked at matt like man just do it he's well i might get in trouble i said matt i got your back like who are you talking to yeah yeah you know and i had to earn trust. yeah uh, i was gonna say yeah how did you do that right because I mean, I'm sure he dealt with tons of people. Well, actually, he was lucky and actually dealt with quite a few people that did have his back, Mm -hmm. right? Because he was able to get into the medium security prison and that Mm -hmm. person invested a lot. So, like, he actually had people in the past he could trust. But how do you, how did, how do you think you were able to foster that to where he felt safe there? Um, you know, I, I, I told him, I was like, hey, um, my my name is David Mills. I'm, I'm the assistant director. I'm like, if you have any issues, um, you know, ask the guys. I was like, they'll they'll let you know. I'll take care of you. Um, I just want to get the reassurance. And then for me, you know, I mean, if you're genuine, you know, I mean, you know, adults, how they say game recognizes game, you know, adults, adult men, especially men who's been through the prison system, they're going to know if you're full of crap. Oh, they can read you like the back of their hand. Yeah. So you really have to, I guess, speaking like if I was you or anyone in that situation, you really have to like walk the walk and talk the talk, because if it doesn't match up, no, you might as well 
Like you probably get crushed by them, just like like so, you, you know what I mean. And I, and I watched the director struggle with that. He mm -hmm. he struggled with gaining the trust of the men because his intentions were all wrong, mm -hmm. you know. And I and I, I said to him once, I'm like, I'm, you know, he called me the savior of the residence. I'm like, I'm not the savior. I'm the peacekeeper, mm -hmm. you know, because you're the actual guy, the go-to guy. You're you're the leader. But they don't trust you. They have to trust someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I basically, you know, I, I led by example. When guys needed something, if it was nothing that was unreasonable, right. you know, I made sure it happened. They want to see their parents. They want to see their kids. I made it happen. They want to go to work. I made it happen. Hey, I got to work overnight. No problem. Are you working tonight? No, but I can leave no for the resident monitors to leave you alone so you can do your job, so you can make your money, so you can get out of here a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm hmm well, and again, just from like research, I mean, I could see where the director said that you're a savior because that kind of personality type or that kind of outlook is probably hard to come by, especially in a, in a, um, you know, in a halfway house like that, dealing with all kinds of stuff. So I, I could see how the director thought of you as that yeah. because I look at this situation and if it would have been anybody else in Matt's life that, you know, where he was doing this stuff he could have been tripped out left left and right right because again he's you you have to you have to call in no matter where if you leave a place or you're going to a place you got to call you're leaving a place you got to call right no matter where you're going and so during that time he had someone covering his butt saying that he was at work at work but you said <laughs> i knew he wasn't because he has a freaking ankle monitor less Yes. So how did so so walk us through the system about like calling and work like just like what, what do you remember about, about that time? Okay. Well, in the beginning, he didn't start off with the ankle monitor. He was he started off working with someone else. Okay. You know, but he already had, had explained to me what his plans were. Now, for me, when I met Matt, you know, Matt stood out like a sore thumb. You know, like look at this white haired guy like with these. I know Matt's eyes are blue. Oh, yeah. The glassiest blue eyes, yeah. the whitest hair, right? Because, like, like <laughs> almost all bino white. And I'm like, who is naturally you? This, this, this surfer slash James Dean looking individual. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I was like, what, what did he do? You know? And he and I got to talking, and I'm like, okay. And he said, man, I really want to do the right thing. And he was sincere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was very sincere. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I was right off the bat, man. I didn't know him that long, probably a few days, you know? Um, and I don't even think I told him I was the assistant director um, until later, you know, because the guys were like, if you have something done, you want something done, ask, ask Mr. Mills. He's assistant director. He said, Mr. Mills, who? He's a that guy right there. And the guys were like, we had no idea this isn't director. I'm like, well, I'm going to feel the need to throw it around. That title around. It doesn't matter what like, title. Don't matter. I'm, right. I'm here to help, you know. So he explained to me what he wanted to do. And I said, well, I'll, I'll do what I can, you know. And I, I talked to him about his case manager. And I was like, she's kind of a hard butt, um, but uh, I'll, I'll have you back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he told me every time he wanted to make a move, you know, he would he would say it to me. Now, not in the very beginning, but he let me figure it out, you know. And I was like, man, you you weren't here where you know I was at work. Okay, all right. And I realized that he wasn't trying to do anything, you know, out of sorts. He wasn't trying to hurt himself. He just, he had a, he had a mission. Yeah, well, he had a mission of his, his business initially, yes. right? Which would later, hopefully, again, in our future, fund the Do South Design Center, right? Where he wants to take these concepts and the philosophy that you believe in to help re rehabilitation and get people the skills and workable trades to continue to live, right? So there's an overlap there, which 
I think he knew that a little bit, but not to the degree of his master plan of what he really wants to do in life to serve people, right? Having your own business is respectable, right? But then also having a business or a nonprofit to give back to the world because of what you've gone through, that's a whole nother level of, you know, giving back. So I think, again, without you, he wouldn't even have context of, of, of where to begin, to be honest. Yeah, and I think for me, I think COVID... You know, and, and I'm not trying to downplay COVID because it was a very, very serious time, you know, in this country yeah. as, well, as well as around the world. But a lot of people right. lost their lives, their livelihood. Right. But in our situation, I think COVID was, it was a blessing, you know, because it, it allowed me to develop relationships, not just for Matt, but a lot of other residents. Because we, we were struggling. You know, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't go anywhere. Right. You know, and when his case manager, you know, for me, she was dropping the ball a lot, mm-hmm. you know. So I kind of just I slid in, and I knew it was gonna get me a lot of trouble. But I assume a lot of the roles that she was supposed to have been doing, like like um, what is it called? What they called um, uh, case notes. You know, I think a resident is required to have a case note. I think every every week or mm-hmm. every every thirty days, something like that. And she wasn't getting them done. She was behind. And, you know, so they would call him, you know, we hours of the night, we hours of the day when he was actually working and say, hey, you need to do a case note. And he would call me and say, hey, man, I got to do a case note. I have this project going on. Miss Mills, I'm not going to be able to come down. Don't worry about it, man. We'll do a case note over the phone. I mean, it's against the rules, but as far as I'm concerned, you're here. Because I understood mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not his fault that people are there. They're not there to do their job. Or they, they're there to trip up residents to make sure that they are ineffective in the things they're trying to do. Because like I said, you know, a lot of those people that work there, they they specifically told me, do not trust these men. Do not trust these women. They are criminals, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and not knowing my background, you know, I'm like, I grew up with quote unquote criminals and we turn out okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well it, it, it's there's there's so many things that like of what you just said that I wish I could talk about and we had hours. Literally, I mean just it's just crazy to me again the idea that you know, you go into a, a system like that and you have to rely on other people to get you to where you need to be, but the other people aren't even doing their jobs. Yeah. So like how are you supposed like it, his idea is to 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 make money, get out, and he has to leave his job to do that. No one's gonna like that. Yeah. So like, thank God he somewhat had his own job he was doing, but like, you still gave him the ability to like not have to leave that and cause more jeopardy to his life. I mean, it's just that's just so crazy to me. And for Matt, and again, I'm sure you, I know you did this for other people too, but what about Matt specifically? Why were you willing to lay it on the line and risk your job and all kinds of stuff for him? Because he talked to me. I mean, he literally came to me and told me exactly what I wanted to do. And I said, I've never heard anybody come to me and tell me what they were trying to do. You know? To be that yeah, he, friend? He was he was transparent, you know. And uh, he, he told me, he's like, hey, I'm an artist. You know, he's, I'm a contractor. And he literally starts showing me stuff. Like, you know, he he he, he, he backed, up, backed up everything that he, he talked about, you know. And he said, hey, man, I just need... I need an opportunity and I need somebody that's going to have my back, you know, mm-hmm. basically, you know, he's, I just need somebody that's going to, you know, be empathetic enough, compassionate enough. You know, he's like, you know, the same thing he said to you, you know, his goal is to, you know, piece his family back together. And yeah. you know, we talked about the relationship with the son 
you know, me having a son of my own, you know, and uh, I will always say to him, man, it, it's going to work out. I was like, he he's going to see for who you are. He's actually see your past. He's going to see for who you are, what you become, you know. And I used to always tell Matt, because Matt was really, really hard on himself, beat himself up all the time. And I'm like, why? Like, that's the yep. old Matt Jones. Let's, let's move forward. Move forward, we're going to be something else. Yeah, he, I mean, he definitely, like, still does that to this day, right? Is really hard on himself and yeah. sometimes to a, to a fault where it's like, you know, yeah, that, that, that's not who you are. That doesn't define you. And I think for anybody, the idea of, like, identity and who you are is always going to be a struggle. But especially if you are branded a certain way by, by society, that makes it that much harder, yeah. right? I mean, that's, it's just crazy so he was there for three months uh he got out in like august september he ended up um going to go rent out a trailer home he was having a really hard time finding a place to live in general but this one lady yeah. let him live there because he said he would fix it up so he redid the floors and upgraded the house for her and so he's you know honestly been living there ever since yeah um and then but you weren't there when he got out I wasn't there. so what was so you end up leaving. I mean, you've only knew him there a short amount of time. Yeah, I, I think at the time um, when I found out he was about to leave, uh, I was making the transition myself. Um, but, you know, he I think the last conversation we had, um, he was having problems getting his uh, his drug treatment um, medicine. And, mm -hmm. and we talked about it. He was really stressed out. And I, I told him I was thinking about leaving, and um, and I apologized to him. You know, of course, you know I had to go behind his case manager's back in order to get things done. You know, of course, we got done, and I told him I was like, man, the next time you call, I might not be here. You well, know, but I want you to, I want you to, uh, to take care. You know, stay focused. I know you'll do well. And you know, um, a few, I think maybe a, a few months after that, I got a phone call from. Um, one of the resident monitors that I hired, is it over? Um, that the resident monitor um, that I hired, she called me and she said, hey, Miss Mills, uh, you know, uh, do you remember Matt Jones? I said, absolutely. And she was like, well, he's trying to get in contact with you. I, I give him your number. I'm like, absolutely, give him my number. And when he when he, uh, he called me and he was, oh my God, you call. He was like, man, he's I, he's I, and he said, oh my God, I'm able to talk to you. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. She gave me his number. Okay. And I, and I called him and he said, Oh my God, I can't believe you called Mr. Mills. And I was like, well, first let's start over. I was like, you don't have to call me Mr. Mills. This is how I call me David, you know, David Mills, you know, whatever you want to call me. Of course, you know, he still calls me. Yeah. He still calls <laughs> yeah. Mr. Yeah. And, uh, you know, which I did, I wouldn't care to call me David at the halfway house, but I guess they felt it was a respect thing. Yeah, I, for sure. But he called me, he told me what he was trying to do. And he was like, I, I want you to be a part of that. And I said to him, I was like, I, I, I love your vision. And I said, no matter where I where I am, any stage in life, you call me and you know, I'll be there for you, man. I mean, I, I like what you're doing and I like the fact that you want to give back. Yeah. 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 I remember because then I was there and you came over mm -hmm. to his porch and we had a really, really incredible conversation there. And that's when, again, because all I at that point had heard just from Matt's perspective of his life, right? I hadn't met anybody really from you know yeah. just anybody other than his story so hearing somebody reference every word that he said and you giving more color and light to it i was like there's no way that i can't be a part of what he wants to do and that kind of leads us to the end here where you know 
this podcast is building up to Matt eventually having the Do South Design Center, right? This place for helping with rehabilitation one way or another um, as a nonprofit. So whether it's, you know, um, whether it's people in the future investing money or whether it's people working or attending or whatever it may be, uh, I would love for you if you could just for a moment think about like, why should people believe in Matt's vision of the Do South Design Center and believe in Matt specifically? Right, because we're talking about somebody that has labels branded on him, and that's hard for some people to get over. Right, and also think about it this way: his customers, for his business right now, listen to this podcast. That's awesome. Right, it's incredible. It really, really is. But they obviously see what you and I see. Mm -hmm. But if you could just make like a statement of like why Matt, why believe in in what he's trying to do, I think that'd be a great way to end this. I, I, I think Matt Jones will be great at what he does, you know, the do south uh do scares, the do scared. Do scared podcasts or the do south design so, scare, yeah. yeah. Because because he's genuine. Um, you know, yeah. you can tell that this man, you know, um he gets beat up a lot, you know, emotionally. And I think a lot of times he does it himself because he made those mistakes mm -hmm. and he wish he can go back and fix it. But it's like, you know, to me those mistakes has made him into who he is now. Yeah. He is the most genuine person I've ever met in my life. And even at the halfway house, he he, he gained so much respect. But he never did anything. You know, it wasn't like he was actually going around telling guys who he was. It was it was his persona. It was his mm -hmm. his aura. You know, it was his presence. Those guys had a lot of respect for him because they yep. watch him. And I used to tell him that, that people are watching you. Man. Oh, yeah. Even in prison, people were like the stories he has, like even in prison, people were watching him. And yeah. and. It, you know, sometimes it, because they were, he was doing good or the right thing or, you know, in, in prison, it made him bad. Yeah. Which is the crazy thing, right? But. Yeah. And he's a man of his word. Yeah. I mean, he, that's he, true. he is true to himself. I mean, he told me what he wanted to do. I mean, look where I'm at. You know, yep. podcast. This is awesome. Yeah. About his life and <laughs> his story. And it's really just the beginning, right? And one of the last things we were just talking about a minute ago was Matt said rehabilitation is not for the weak. And, but we were talking about how rehabilitation is not for the strong either. Yeah, no. You know, you got to be a, a resilient individual, you know, whether you are uh, an inmate coming out of federal um, prison into a, a federal halfway house or an individual who really wants to make a difference, you know, but hands are tied constantly. Yeah. And if there is someone that is in the situation, whether it's, you know, coming out of prison or halfway house that happens to be listening to this podcast, what is something that you would say to them? I would tell them, don't let the world define you. Mm -hmm. You know who you are. If you want to change, it is all about choice. Yeah. Voice. Wow. So tell us what my dad would say to me. <laughs> But also, is there anything else? I think, uh, I think it's been. Oh, um, Brittany, this has been phenomenal. Um, I, I just can't wait to see the the whole vision and the journey just coming to fruition. This is going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. And I, I know that Matt wants you to be a huge part of it, whether it's on the board of the nonprofit or if this is something that can hopefully be a job and sustaining for you. I know that he has a vision to have you in the center um, no matter what. Yeah. So awesome. The difference. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It has been a pleasure. So I am so happy again that you were able to meet Mr. Mills. Nice meeting everyone.
Thanks again for listening. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and on YouTube. And if you have any questions, please comment them on Instagram and YouTube, or you can submit them on our website. In the future, we will be doing a Q&A and we'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Again, thanks so much for your support. It means the world to us.